I'm Eric. I'm the lead pastor here at Common Ground Northeast. It's so good to have you all. I've actually been out of town for a couple of days, so I'm going to keep my distance a little bit, make sure I'm masked up just because I was on a plane. Um, but I just had the opportunity to go um, to a, like a little conference in um, Portland, and my, I have family in Oregon, so I was able to extend that and go hang out with them a little bit. But I appreciate the ability to get away, to get refueled, um, and uh, to have some good conversations with other pastors about things going on in our nation um, and communicating to and through uh, God's people to the world in that. So I just appreciate that opportunity. I did want to take one minute before I jump in just to, um, we took, we, we stopped a little bit just to pray last week and there is a little, uh, you know, there's just a lot going on in our, in our, in our culture, in our society, in our, in our um, country, and I think it's worthwhile just to stop and do a, a prayer. I don't have as, a, a formal call and response like I did last time, um, but I just felt like I couldn't just walk on as if nothing is going on. And so there's some things obviously going on in Afghanistan, Kabul, Haiti, Myanmar, the COVID pandemic, and, and its many kind of waves and how it's working itself out. Um, if you weren't aware, we've been prayer walking and having and building a relationship with um, a local, I won't name it because I feel like it's bad publicity for them, but there's a local um, uh, apartment complex down, down the way, um, and there was uh, some more, uh, another act of violence that, that took place there. Um, and then there, you know, there's just, there's just uh, a lot of unsettledness going on in, in the midst of those things. And so I just want to take a quick minute as I start just to go before God and um, present those to him in prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? If, if bowing your head is how you pray. Jesus, thank you so much for um, this community. Thank you that we are able to uh, meet needs when they arise. Thank you for the overwhelming support that this community showed to a local school. And um, God, just even as we've seen some highlights here, being involved in helping with overflow parking at the, at the school down the street to seeing blood drives, um, even in the news, it's, it's just been um, amazing to see that our church is about doing things and good works and you, um, you are shining spotlights that we don't, not even asking for on those things, Lord. So I just pray and thank you for all those who gave and were committed to that, Lord. And I just pray that we would continue to be a generous community. Father, I just lift up all of these unsettled things. Um, and, and no matter where we fall politically and no matter where we fall in those areas, God, we just want to ask for your shalom to be present in Afghanistan. We want to ask for your shalom. Uh, and, and, and the rebuilding work is taking place in Haiti. Father, would you um, step in as an intercessor in all of these things, Myanmar. Uh, Lord, help us as we navigate COVID to be wise on our side, as we navigate the street levels of that and all the different opinions going on there, Lord. But ultimately, uh, as we pray around our, our dinner table uh, every night, kill the coronavirus. Just kill it. And Father, just where there's violence, um, Lord, we, we again just pray that your peace... Um, Wherever, whatever is causing the overflow of violence, Lord, if there are needs that need to be met, if there is um, trauma, if there's healing, if there's um, mental instability going on, Lord, would you bring your shalom to that, and then we would just see acts of violence dissipate. Yes, Lord. Now, Father, help us to, to be a community that operates um, according to your spirit and to meet these kinds of needs. We pray for this right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It was good to be with you all again. Uh, I was able to take a little bit of a break, so just being back here is um, breath of fresh air. Being able to fly in and just like this is this is my crew. This is this is our people. This is this is our community. Sunday morning, um, and and we're starting a new series. I know that a lot of times pastors get all hyped up about series, and you're all out there like cool, like you can name it whatever you want here and there. Uh, just keep teaching, right? And um, but today is I think it's a significant one because we're starting the fall season a little bit differently. And part of the purpose of this, well, I'll just kind of mention this. 
idea, over the, you know, just after, uh, over the last few years, this common ground northeast has been in existence. We've undergone all kinds of change, right? The person who planted this church has gone on to, um, be, uh, to, to, to help out with a nonprofit that, that serves Uganda. There's uh, an affiliation with a network of churches that we now call a family of churches because that network in its formal existence isn't around like it was. But we still have this overlap, this engagement with the, uh, the common ground family of churches. And there's two campuses that we kind of consider our, our brother, sister, our sibling groups. Um, and, and then after that felt, uh, you know, after that, that formalization was no longer there, there was kind of a recalculation of how are we going to engage with one another. Um, years before the topic hit the public sphere, Common Ground Northeast decided that we were going to embrace, we had this conviction to embrace this idea of justice and ethnic reconciliation in our day. And there were some adjustments that we took on during that time. We embraced a theological conviction along the way. We assessed and reassessed some previous convictions we had to allow um, women. Uh, we, wanted, we wanted to see women in all spheres of our leadership, both as pastors, ordained, and elders inside of our church. But that was a switch. We had to, we had to navigate and come into that in and of our own. Our family, meaning the Thien family, my, my, my physical family, moved out here from Phoenix, Arizona so we could play with you all in the snow. Thanks, it was fun. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> It'll be three years actually next month, so that's kind of cool to see that coming up. There's always this negoti- negotiation, though, relationally, when um, you, know, you have these two parties. We talk about this a lot, coming together, and you've had to acclimate to me as a leader. I've had to acclimate to you, but we both bring these experiences with us into that conversation, and so there's been adjustments and changes that Common Ground Northeast has had to endure and walk through during that. And then we had a pandemic. You might have heard of it. We've been social distanced, we've been masked up, we've been scattered, we've been localized into other neighborhoods, we've sustained losses, right, on a global scale, loss on a global scale. We've been zoomed in and we're able to connect during that and then we got all zoomed out and we're like sick of doing this, I don't want to touch this screen anymore or look at it. There have been on our side staff changes, right? We've had some shifts in our worship ministry, youth, communications. We now have myself and Sam as um, the two full-time people. Jody pretty much is full-time, but technically is three-quarters time, I guess would be a, the right way to say it, um, Pastor Jody. And then um, Katie is our communications director who's watching online and making sure everything is working right. So hello, Katie. Thank you for doing all that you do. In the midst of all of this, we've had people migrate in and migrate out as well. All right, I don't want to keep belaboring the point, but I want you to see this. It's a lot of different kinds of change. It's a lot of different shifts that we have taken on and endured. What I want to do first before I move on is just to say amidst the twists and turns and ups and downs, there's this, this way that you get to step back and look at it and say God has been faithful to our church through it all, right? And maybe some of you feel that. Maybe you've been through times, and I'll talk about one here where it's just like, man, I don't know, I don't know what the next move is or what's going to happen next. And so you have no choice but to fall back on Jesus and, and God in his history having proved himself faithful and to say, God, will you do that again here at our church and in our congregation? And so this level of shifting and change in our church has stretched us. It's challenged us. It's built us. It's broken us down at times. It's been emotionally, spiritually challenging. And so what I want us to see as we move into this series is my attempt in this is for us to stop and step back and ask the question, after all that has changed, who are we now? Right? Like, what, what, is, 
the defining personality of Common Ground Northeast. In fact, I remember when we were back in where you grabbed coffee, that was kind of our little studio during the pandemic where we would film and I would preach against that wooden backdrop um, to a camera, right? And I just remember, you know, doing takes and trying to do, you know, push the button and come back over and be like, you know, all right, Katie, you know, talking to her, she's going to be editing. Like, I think I'm in the right spot, you know, trying to make sure everything looks good. And there was a point where I remember just stopping and being like, this is so insane what's happening in our, in our world right now that as a globe, and I, it probably overflowed um, you know, in, in whatever I was filming during that time, but I just remember thinking we are all globally experiencing real-time trauma as it's happening. Usually you don't recognize trauma until afterwards and you look back, right? It's happening and we're in it and this is traumatizing on a global scale, on a scale that we could never have imagined. And I just remember thinking, these, there may not be seven churches on Hague after this. I remember thinking, we, if we are ones who get to the other side of this, we are not going to be the same people we were when we walked in. Because you don't walk through something like this and just stay the same. And I, I think it was kind of a mixture of grief the loss of people, both, you know, the numbers as we saw them stack up, the loss of stability, right, the felt sense of stability that we thought we had um, during, uh, before we walked into the pandemic, but also this loss that you endure when everything that was familiar to you is now just not familiar. This is not how I'm used to engaging with our church. This is not how I'm used to hanging out with my neighbors. And I would say in the midst of that, I wanted to recognize how that has possibly changed us, but then look at what, what causes common ground to call ourselves common ground. What causes us to uniquely be who we are? What anchors us? What values do we embrace that say that this is who we are? And even though we've learned from God and grown and saw God carry us through these difficulties, there's still this disorientation that can happen. And so as we navigated it, kind of, I think that first shape, uh, um, if you all remember, I did kind of that crisis loop. There's a typical way in which people act. And we did pretty much just like it said. You have this shock and disorientation. Then we had this hyper adrenaline infused, we're going to save everyone, right? And so we like raised money and we did some amazing things. Those were good times. But eventually that kind of adrenaline rush runs out and you start to wonder like, how long can we keep this thing up? And so in our congregation, we decided... And, and you remember for how long, because of how long it took us to get through it. But we decided that we needed to, if we were going to be physically scattered, we needed to be spiritually in sync. And so we created this curriculum called the Gospel Series that we asked everyone to participate in. We put all of these resources online and asked people to follow along with the sermons so that, you know, if you were here in Fishers or whether you were downtown, if you met together, you would have this kind of in-sync reading of the scriptures, this in-sync teaching that we were going through along the lines of the scripture. And we used that as a means of helping us stay in rhythm together as a church, even though we were physically disconnected. And in the last season, we walked through what we, I would call a season of reconnection. And these are obviously descriptions. They're not that formal. But just being able to interact more freely as things started to loosen up, we encouraged house churches to meet again. We hosted a few events here on site. Our family hosted some events in our backyard. Children's ministry was able to open up. Can I get an amen on that one? (laughs) Uh, And check this out. Our first VBS in person in over a year, we did a digital version, right? If you remember during the, the height of the pandemic. So we were able to meet in person for VBS. More recently, the staff and the elders had the opportunity to get together off-site at a retreat to pray, discuss, and dream about the future of Common Ground together. It was a season of connection. And so what I want us to do now, though, is as we recognize our history 
and we start to shift from maybe a defensive posture and into an offensive posture of what's next, where are we going to go after this, we transition to a new phase of like building or rebuilding, depending on how you want to take a look at that. And, and that was part of why I said, hey, our three pillars are foundational of ministry. It's how we engage with people. It's how we form people. So we taught during the summer on the three pillars, devotion, community, mission. It's like our, our, our ministry kind of movement um, and the way in which we do things. We put more intentional focus on, on, on reaching out to people with the Wildfire Series Evangelism. Um, and now we're going to be launching and relaunching some house churches. And there's a good number of people who have come to us and said, I want to plant a church. I have a heart from my neighborhood, and that's awesome that I get to have all this community with my other house church. But now it's time for them to send me into this neighborhood and plant a new church here. And we've had five or so people come to us, more than we realized we're hungry for something like that. Now we're trying to figure out, now how do we resource and do that? Because we hadn't done it before. And so we take a survey. I like to think of it a little bit the Nehemiah situation where you stop and reassess, okay, who's going to help us build this wall over here? Who's going to help us stack up the blocks on this side? Who's going to help us raise the gates over here? Like, who's here? How, how are we going to move forward? What is the identity of who we are? Except in our position, it's more like, who's going to help a children's ministry over here? Who's going to uh, uh, be the person to do the fifth and sixth grade room? Who's going to help us with the greeting ministry? Who's going to lead a house church or plant a new house church, right? It's a little different, but it's all this idea of taking stock, surveying the land, looking at what needs to be done and saying, okay, Holy Spirit, who is going to help us on this mission? And so as a part of that, I don't know, it's kind of long-winded, but I think it's helpful for some of us um, to see the context of this. Um, I want to identify what makes Common Ground Common Ground in the midst of this. Many of you didn't know this, but the, uh, the elders have been going through a process of identifying core values right before the pandemic. We've been in and out of that in a few other conversations. It was a little bit slow going. Um, but we identified three things that we felt for sure were these are one, one of the three core values of Common Ground Northeast. And I'll name those here in just a second. I'm going I'm to go through each one of those every week. Um, and then I'm going to add a couple of observations on the other side. And then honestly, I'm just going to tell you up front, I'm going to ask us to make some commitments to it. I just feel like part of that is, okay, if you're here to build walls, are we going to do this together? Good. I can trust you to stick around and build some walls. I can trust us to accomplish this as we move forward. And so the last one I really want us to call to, we're not a church that has formal membership. So what does it mean to be committed relationally to our church? And so we'll talk about that at the very end of this. Um, and then finally, there's two audiences, I think, listening right now. We've got a lot of new people who have checked us out on the other side of COVID. And so we have lots of new people that are in a phase of learning more about our church. And I feel like this next series is going to be perfect for you. You're going to learn a lot about who we are and what we anchor ourselves in. But also, if you've just been around and, and this is a part of your family, it's a reestablishing, a recommitting to the values that maintain who we are, the fidelity of our core convictions and what holds us together as a corporate body. So first one, without further ado, I'll name the first three, um, and I'll give kind of some framework. But the very first one um, of our core convictions is our name, Common Ground. And what I want us to explore today is what does it mean to be a church that is attempting to be Common Ground in our culture? The second one is we empower. So the first is we are Common Ground. The second is we empower. The third one is we are courageous. The, second, the, third, the fourth one is more informal. It's not one we've decided on as elders, but just one that I've observed is we are a people that seeks justice, all right? And so I'm gonna explain a little bit more of that and then finally just talking about what it means to be committed to those things as a group. And so what I wanna do is invite you right now, if you could open your Bibles to John 17. John 17. 
I have one quick story that I want to open up to you, but you can go open your Bibles right now. John 17, what does it mean to be common ground? Well, one time, um, I'd served some time in ministry in New Orleans and um, had been there maybe for a year, and there was this lady, her name was Debbie, um, and she was invested in our church pretty heavily. I think she was a travel agent, I can't remember, but for whatever reason, I was in her office. I had to drop something off, so I met her at her work. She was the only one in there, and so we started chatting a little bit just because we're friends. And so as we were having this conversation, um, Debbie and I start to have a little bit of like what, what faith and, and ministry stuff. And in the midst of that, she learned something about a theology that I believed that all of a sudden, as I'm talking, she said, oh, hold up, can you go back? What did you just say? And I'm like, oh, and I just repeated it and kept going on because it was fairly insignificant in terms of our conversation. And as I go on, she's like, whoa, hold on. Eric, I don't think I can go to our church anymore if you believe that. And I'm like, whoa. I mean, I was shocked by it. It was a very minor issue, especially in the culture of this church as we had defined things. And I remember like trying to make explanations and like, do I, do I apologize? Because I wasn't, I wasn't sorry for believing what I believed. It just wasn't an issue of contention, you know, in this situation. And she said, she didn't just take it. She said, Eric, I don't think I can be at a church where somebody is a pastor on staff and believes what you believe. Now, it had to do with my, my belief about um, you know, issues of sovereignty, and she leaned more towards a free will paradigm. But again, in our church, this was not something we have established. This is not something we have a stance on, right? And I felt horrible. I just caused somebody from our church to say, like, well, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. And so as I was talking, she said, you know what? I, I actually don't know that I want you around my son anymore. Now, let me qualify that a little bit. Her son was 22 years old, (laughs) a grown dude, right? He can make his own decisions. But what happened? He doesn't know Jesus. And he was a producer running some stuff, a little mini production company, and he was recording worship music for our worship team. So I'd been hanging out with him, and she's like, yeah, I hope he, you know, maybe Jesus will come to know, he'll come to know Jesus through you. And I wasn't like making it awkward, but there would be times that we'd talk about spirituality, and he'd have all kinds of questions for me. And so I, I was like, this is very fruitful. Most of the time, we're just talking about tracks and instruments and trying to get this thing recorded, right? But she felt so strong. She's like, not only do, am I leaving this church, I don't want you to be influencing my son because she deemed that it would be better for him not to know Jesus if it meant coming with this specific theology than to to know him at all. Okay, I went and talked to our pastor. I felt horrible. He said, look, um, I'm going to talk to her. Don't worry about it. I want you to let this go because this is is what I think the bottom line is. Um, If she was willing to break ties with us for that, it was probably just a matter of time. And he's like, I'm going to shepherd, I'm going to jump in, I'm going to have a conversation. But my guess is there are underlying other issues going on here. But ultimately, if that was a breaking point for her, this was probably just like coming at some point. All right? Now, I don't say that to, you know, put her on the spot. I think all of us have values, and we weigh those values differently. You and I have different experiences that that help us to shape those things, different perspectives, backgrounds. We all make make decisions on a regular basis to unify or to disunify, to depart a community or a friendship based on, on those values and how we weigh those things, right? And maybe you would do that over something larger, a decision to depart a longstanding relationship because it was toxic. Or maybe you just did it because you're flippant, because in your temperament, you really struggle with maintaining unity when things get difficult. Maybe you've had to make a decision to depart a church community, 
and, and it took you a year or maybe a denominational affiliation where you were really hardcore, like, I'm, I'm Baptist, I'm going to bleed Baptist, but out in, I'm going to kind of jokingly make fun of Baptists all day today. So just get yourselves ready there. I'm post-Baptist, uh, so it's my people where I came from, but they are one of the ones I am most familiar, and I knew people that would say if that was their equivalent to if they left that, then they were leaving Christianity. And perhaps maybe you just even recently decided to unfriend somebody on the social media or stop following someone because you didn't like their position on masks or vaccinations or whatever it was. We're all making these decisions, right? Can we recognize that about ourselves? We're all trying to decide what we value and how to weigh those things involved in our relationships. And so being common ground, right, with no shortage of reasons to separate in our culture right now, we've got plenty of those, Being common ground is actually kind of a unique placement. It's beautiful, but it's also incredibly, incredibly difficult to pull off in a polarized culture. And so being common ground is a value of who we are. Standing between two polarized forces is difficult. It has this ability to create unified space between two differences, but it's not going to be a good, an easy place to just hang out in, right? So verse 17, sorry, verse 13, chapter 17, we, we see Jesus having a conversation with his disciples and he prays over them. He had just gone, uh, he knows he's about to be crucified, he knows he's about to die, but that hasn't happened yet. And Jesus decides, before I'm out of here, I'm going to pray some things over you. And these are the things that he prays. John 17, 13. He says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that you may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the word, world... Sorry, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. So you see that joy is possible, right? He's praying for joy even, or, or asking for joy even in the midst of public disagreement and even the possibility that the world is gonna hate them in it. 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth Your word is truth, and you sent me into the world. I have sent them into the world. For for them I sanctify myself, that they may be truly sanctified. Jesus is anticipating these difficulties they're going to have, if they're going to follow him in the world. And so he prays for a few things. They want him to find joy. He asks for them to be protected, but he
even as you have loved me. All right, so. That, but imagine event. Well, we got it in the logo right there. Overlapping circle is that God. Is holy. It's separate. Washing of our lives with the word of truth helps us to. not a mistake it's not as saint the i'm initiating but we still as a, as as kind of this uh, the scent of that movement is still upon us they are also marked by this a focus a heavy focus on unity that is intended to disengage from splintering tendencies of denominationalism all right, so where we see, and I'm going to pick on the Baptists one more time because I know this, but where we see there's not just Baptists, and they, I, we disagreed on this thing, so now I'm the cooperative fellowship Baptist. We'll hang out sometimes, but we're not in agreement. Then, oh, you, you're not conservative enough. I'm going to be in the conservative Baptist group. And there's, I don't know how many different versions of it. You can take your pick, though. Methodist, you can go to Presbyterian. There's all kinds. There's even a cool, trendy Presbyterian group called Echo right now. Anyone ever heard of them? They're just young Presbyterians. And they're like, y'all, I'm going to make something cooler looking. So echo, right? It sounds cooler, I guess. So we, we at, 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 in this space, um, we have this, this root that goes back to a group that said, we don't want to splinter like that. And so we're going to make some decisions here 
to go back into restoring Christianity before that, hence the Restoration Movement name, to the roots of the first century church. One historian said that this group was intending, they were seeking to reform the church from within and sought the unification of all Christians in a single body patterned after the church of the New Testament. Now, as a result, they're famous for, they didn't make them, but they're famous for these things, you know, no creed but Christ. We're not going to ascribe to a creed necessarily, Jesus is our creed. We're not going to ascribe to any book but the Bible. So no creed but Christ, no book but the Bible. And then the always famous um, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things what? Anyone got it? Oh, that's a different version. I got charity, but love is the, I don't know, modernized version of it. Yep. And, and, and we would say that this heartbeat is something that was championed by them that I would say, as I look back, has, is a part of what shapes us into who we are. The restoration movement took this idea to heart, this, this, this unification in chapter 17, and we now have a heartbeat of unity as a result of that. And so let me tell you what I experienced when I first came to Common Ground. I met people all over the place that were from the Catholic background. They had a Methodist background. Others came from the AME tradition. Some were Presbyterian, Anglican. Not so many Anglicans, actually. So if you're one of those, let me know, and I can add that to the list. There's lots of Wesleyans in our Baptists. Could be some Orthodox Christians. In fact, I kept hearing this joke um, where couples would come up to me and said, you know, I was, I was Methodist in my background. The other one's like, well, I was Lutheran, and we came here because we needed to find, and they look at each other and say, Common ground, <laughs> right? Making jokes. That's cute. It was real cute. But, but in reality, that's what they found. This is where we could come, and every once in a while, it's going to look more liturgical, like my background. And, and over here, it's going to look more contemporary, and every once in a while, we do a call and response thing, and sometimes we do, we we're borrowing from this, this wide variety of styles from charismatic, contemporary, liturgical, gospel-oriented. There's this wide variety of worshipful practices, and when we've seen gaps in there, we've wanted to say, hey, let's, let's see what we can learn from this background. We're politically progressive and politically conservative, and if you're like me, you just feel politically homeless in this time. But both are in this room right now. A huge amount of theological diversity found inside of our community. It's beautiful. And so you're going to find we don't ascribe to a denominational theology. Like we, we agree with this one. Or a theological framework, a systematic theology that is ascribed to one group or another. Instead, we decide to just stick with the overlapping common ground of historical orthodoxy across a plurality of accepted Christian traditions. If the scriptures make room for ambiguity, we wanted to do the same, to focus on the things that were essential so that we can walk with God in integrity and in the gospel, but also be open to these things that we would consider non-essential. And this works because we've decided this, right? We've decided to make this a goal of ours, that we would co-commune with each other, not necessarily over very specific details of certain theological issues. And so we, we band together under the banner of Christ as a unified whole. And this is what makes common ground for many people common ground. It's what makes, us a, makes it a part of our identity, unique even in our time, I would say, beautifully reflective of Christ's character. But I'll say one of the things that it also makes us is in kind of inefficient. See what I mean? Like, like when you're wading through the gray space and living in the tension, 
It takes time to figure things out. It takes a while for you to weigh the options and have conversations. Is this essential? Is it not essential? Is this something we need to make a big deal? Is it not something we need to make a big deal about? We've actually heard, I hear this phrase all the time. Uh, I don't know if Jeff Krafsky, the Midtown pastor, coined it. We, we move at the speed of relationship. Because one of the benefits of being denominational and, and choosing one of those things is the hyper black and white a specific kind of theology. You're drawing from Luther, you're drawing from Calvin, you're embracing you are singing songs from the traditional Presbyterian hymnal. Elders answer to the presbytery who then answers to the synod and so on and so on and so on. It's very structured, very clear. It's decisive. To stay unified in the midst of that it limits the scope of our missional capacity. And so that's not better than But there's these other benefits. One of the benefits become a learning community as a result of this. We become better people when we interact in our church. Um, We have podcasts, guests, we have literature that we will circulate. There's different things, people who don't necessarily agree with all the things that we agree with, right? In a lot of our engagements, we're giving some people resources that are not Christian in their origin because we believe there's something to learn from them. And it's not every space, but we do make intentionally space for these moments of like, hey, you're not necessarily going to get something that agrees with everything we believe here. Just know that going in and process it. Learn from what you can learn from. We give ourselves grace to assess and seek the Holy Spirit on certain topics and issues to see if we still believe that and if it aligns with us and the scriptures and the Holy Spirit. One example was our decision to change, um, to move to become an an egalitarian church, bringing women into all spaces of leadership here at our church. We were not always that. We had to go through a discernment process. When we take time to engage these issues and ask Jesus, the Holy Spirit, we take them seriously, but there is this space for us to become learning, uh, a posture as a learning community in the midst of it. Well, the other thing that I wanted to really touch base on um, is just this idea that it helps us grow, but it's also, uh, it's this missional way for us to find common ground with people who are outside of the church, right? The world Jesus refused to take us out of is the one that we're engaging with. We're trying to have this sense, uh, think about it, the world is operating in, in a way that is trying to make sense of a broken world without Jesus who created it, right? Does that make sense? They're trying to figure this out without the, the actual creator, and it's broken and it's fallen now on this side of the rebellion from, from Adam and Eve. But what we have now is this, this idea of if we disconnect from that, if we just become monks and go out in the middle of the desert and don't interact with the culture or with people around us, we're no good to them, and we don't have this overlapping space. But what you do see is Jesus often modeling this for us, right? Jesus was hanging out with the woman at the well, who was a woman at a time when men and women should not have been speaking to each other like this. She was a Samaritan, and he was a Jew. He shouldn't have been doing it, but he created a well of common ground between them. And many people came to know Jesus through, him, through that. 
He was eating with sinners for the sake of mission. You have Zacchaeus, who is a hated tax collector, stealing from people on one side that Jesus is interacting, calling him out of the tree, right? And then you have Jesus later on hanging out on a rooftop with Nicodemus, a well-respected Jewish leader in his time. And so he created common space, common ground between them, and he creates common ground with them so that he can move the mission of God forward, right? You can go down the line, there's demon-possessed people, those who are de- uh, deemed unclean, all of, uh, all of it was in this missional understanding of interacting and overlapping with common ground between us and the world around us. Whenever we, he, he was able to create bridges, he did. This is the missional overlap. And so we want to create this sense of unity here within the believers, this unified oneness for us. We also want to have some level of overlapping with the world around us in a way that is responsible and allows the gospel to shape the world around us. The one little bit, the little last thing that I wanted to touch base before we head out of here too, I know I'm pressing time for a little bit with setting up the, the, the series. Um, there are some essentials, right? There are some things that we deem to be essential. Theologically, we have some convictions that we call our statement of faith, right? It boils down our essentials to a bare minimum, and it causes, uh, in fact, our, the way that we have done this opens us up to allow as many people to come to common ground, as many people as possible from as many different backgrounds as possible while still remaining Christians in the midst of it all. So, so, so these are our things that we've created that says this is who we are, this is a theological statement of, of who we are, uh, and we want it to be open as, as much as possible to those who would be considered um, inside of the Christian world. But it also opens us up for this engagement so that we don't have lines drawn in our church politically, so that we don't have lines drawn in our church ethnically, and we're even still to this day trying to figure out what that means and how to overcome that. If you haven't noticed, we're still mostly white, right? And there's a culture that comes with us in that, and so we're trying to figure these things out. There's no denominational adherence here. That's how we do these things. It allows us to recognize, though, too, the image of God in others, and this is the final kind of point of of a non-essential, or of an essential. What do you do with justice issues? Right? These are those moments that Jesus seems to be like he's, he's bringing Zacchaeus one end, he's hanging out with Nicodemus, there's this level of sin, but then you have these weird moments where even though we're not trying to cause walls of division, you see Jesus' tone change. And that's when you see him stand in the way between people who are collecting stones for execution and that, that person who is to be executed. He steps in between that. This is when you see Jesus call out evil people, even in public, calling them brood of vipers at times. That's the equivalent probably to some kind of cuss word. I'm sure it is, right? Jesus flipped over tables at the temple because they turned his father's house into a den of thieves. There are these moments where you see justice take over, and that common ground seems to not be necessarily with those who he's uh, pointing his aggression towards, but with something else. And so that level of common ground, this is how I see it. Where the scriptures liberate, we want to participate in liberation and stand in solidarity with those. And in this way, I see areas of justice as an extension of our common ground shared with those who are marginalized and oppressed. And when we share that common ground with them, we might end up participating in the suffering right alongside them. We might become the voice for the voiceless. We might become the oppositional force against those who are enacting the injustice because, and I love this be three words, justice takes sides. I'm going to come back to this in a few weeks and delve a little bit deeper into that. 
This is, this is us. This is who we are. This is the common ground that we are trying to become and the value that we embrace and that is our namesake to this day. And when you embrace us as a church, you embrace becoming one who wants to overlap your world for a unified purpose. Not at the expense of truth, but with this proper evaluation of where things should go. A strong, strong priority on unity in the midst of the community of believers while still remaining in the world so that we can be, earth, uh, we can be heavenly good to it. And if you choose to walk with this path with us, you will see that God's going to agitate you towards growth. All right? You will see that God is going to call you into some things, teach you to trust him, expand your faith on certain things in the body of believers while you do it. And he's going to saturate the world with justice, with the essence of the kingdom as you overlap with the world. I'm going to pray here in just a second. Um, and so just be asking God as you community, how, how do I want to engage to play in the midst of this? And I want, to, I want to tell you too, if you have any questions about the um, and this is it, this is what I want to pray for us here in closing. and allow the Holy Spirit to inform you is in your life is there something you've been dividing over that's not worth division and God is actually saying wow maybe I have overextended the priority of that and undervalued unity in the midst of my interactions with people all right and then second I'm going to ask that God would inform you if maybe you, you need to to create different boundaries or parameters based on that so let's just sit with that for a little bit. Just kind of sit. If you're okay with closing your eyes, you can do that. Now, Jesus, your, your scripture, Psalm 139 says, um, Seek me and know if there is any grievous way within me, Lord. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so, God, if there is a part of us that has forsaken common ground, for a burn that is unworthy of that kind of attention. Would you bring that to our mind right now? God, would you unify us over some core essentials, Jesus? Would you allow grace to abound? Would you allow us a prioritized way in which we, we think theologically, we think as we engage the world with the culture and with each other, Lord? Maybe there's some apologies that need to be made, God. And if that's true, would you give us a conviction to go do that? Yes, Lord. And if there's anywhere in which we have overstretched our understanding of common ground, Lord, correct us. We want to be available for that. Help us to be more and more like you. Help to form us into the image of who you are, Jesus. And we ask for this right now.